Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Well, welcome to Rescue Radio. Yes, good morning. Well, let's pray. Okay, Father God, we thank you that we are here to do your will. And we pray that each one as they listen today will be ignited and encouraged to do your will, to recognize, to understand, giving us eyes to see, ears to hear, and heart to receive the revelation of your love and your truth, that we will know, Lord God, that we know what we know, and we will not be fooled by the persuasions and conclusions and debates of the enemy as he makes his argument in our minds, in our hearts, in our souls to to remove us from the revelation, to cause confusion in the conclusion of who we are, who you are, Lord God. I pray, Father, that even as you've downloaded to us your Holy Spirit, that he is active in our lives to, to lead us into all truth and triumph, that even as you already demonstrated your great love for us in dying for us, Lord, that there is no dispute really about your great love, that yet the enemy would rage in his arguments against us. So, Father, I pray today that you would give us the revelation of truth that we need to have to shift this paradigm from confusion and reasonable doubt to one of understanding and strength and peace and confidence in knowing who you are. And so, Lord, I thank you for giving us wisdom today as we might speak as the oracles of God. I pray that you'd keep your promise as you do, that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that no word said, no deed done, no action taken will be able to be used by the enemy to bring forth any shame, trouble, or reproach. So give us wisdom. uh, Cause this to be a great asset and benefit to all those who are listening, those who will listen to the archives. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there's oftentimes that God gets a bad rap all the time, actually. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we want to talk about that today. Why Why is that? We want to explore that. Okay. And what's what's really going on with God? What's his true nature? Mm-hmm. Uh, how how we form our concepts of who God is? Yeah. Um, well, a lot of times cool. people are suffering personally in their lives. I mean, all of us, all of us are in a place of being tried and tested. Um, and a lot of times if we don't recognize that testing as a deliberate process of refining uh, where the Lord God is working in us, the image of Jesus Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It's like this. If, if, if God is the potter and we're the clay, and if the clay had feelings, I'm sure the clay would say a lot of times, ouch, you're pinching me. Ouch, that hurts. Ouch, that's too hot. Ouch, that's, you know, and, and so... But we, we somehow, I think the problem with defining or, or any... Uh, determining anything, anything that we consider to be possibly true or trying to figure out what is true, we oftentimes substitute reality for truth and just base our um, our final conclusions on what is true based on what we have experienced. And, and you know, with God, it's no different. Our, our concept of experiencing God as our Father, what, you know, you, you, you look back to what you experienced in your own life and 
and draw your conclusions about the Heavenly Father from what we have experienced in the in the earthly realm. Um, so we can we can draw really wrong conclusions mm-hmm. about God just based if we how how do we do that? You know, okay, we're created in the likeness and image of God. Mm-hmm. Then. What happens as we are growing up? Let's kind of take us through that a little bit. Maybe give some examples of how, say, uh, a, a child okay, forms well, their image of God. Well, let's go back to the first part about a child. A child has a problem of thinking that all of the world revolves around them, that I am the center of my world. And I think a lot of times we keep that as our perspective in in determining all kinds of world, you know, conclusions about everything. And so, um, so if we experience, you know, we draw our conclusions based on our own personal experience, based on the fact that we believe we are the center of our world and that the world is shaped around our limited, finite experiences, then drawing conclusions about infinite things from our finite experiences is like a little minnow who lives in the swamp who thinks he understands the ocean. You know, he's not going to have the right perspective, but you can't convince him that he doesn't know everything unless, of course, um, he gets to sit down with a big fish who sits him down and talks to him, uh, mentors him, counsels him about what is truly wisdom and what is uh, the, the true nature of the ocean. So let's go back to, in the beginning, God. Um, first of all, you know, people to understand this, Jerry, they have to understand that we are this we're here we did not choose to be here we were selected ordained created uh sent into this world this world was already set up before we got here with a a, a war warfare warfare spiritual warfare conflict dy, uh, dynamic so everything everything here's about war however we don't perceive the greater context of what we're living in until probably a lot later in our lives, although we personally may experience a lot of pain and conflict and abuse and offense, even as very, very young children, maybe even as in the from the womb. But we don't relegate that to a spiritual battle. Mm. So so how, how does, does a child, I mean, how do people get to understand? It seems like that's something that a lot of, a lot of folks are ignorant of. Right, the spiritual sure. battle that's going on. We see evil in the world, mm-hmm. but there's ignorance. Well, is there is there a way that uh, uh, that a, a child or uh, can be trained to? How could a child be trained to understand well, this that is, there's a war going on? Well, I guess we that's we, tough, we first it? learn it through experience, but we don't understand what the what the fight's all about, mm-hmm. and it doesn't make sense because if we see the fight maybe in our own families. Uh, in rejection, in abuse, in favoritism, um, in injustices, in um, all kinds of, like I said, abuses, physical, sexual, immoral, I mean, uh, mental, emotional. Um, or maybe we don't. Maybe we see some families that are real nice families and they don't have any of this problem going on. But nonetheless, we don't broaden ourselves at that childish age to think of this as a war between God and Satan for the souls of men. But now that you're an adult, let's Stand up and take a look at what's really going on. And I always say to people, you know, if you want to get an understanding of what's going on in your life, take out a piece of paper and at the top of the paper, write the word war, W-A-R. This is a war between God and Satan for the souls of men. Now, 
again, we, we, we kind of reduce everything down to a simplistic question that really is not even, I don't believe that question is even crafted in our own hearts. I believe Satan puts that question in our minds. We don't understand or realize that. And so we ask the questions like, if God is so good, then why? Why are all these bad things happening to me? Or this question, I must have done something bad for all these bad things to be happening to me. Another simplistic, um, demonic uh, implication or suggestion trying to get us to make an assumption or a presumption about who we are, what we did wrong, why God let this happen, et cetera, et cetera. So um, does that make sense? Yeah, but there's so many different ideas people have about God these days. Right. Okay. Uh, That's one of the problems. You know, I'm God, you're God, the tree is God. Everything uh, is God. There's a Hindu God, there's a Buddhist God, there's a, mm-hmm. a New Age uh, order of God. Well, and then there's a lot of counterfeiting of the one true God. I mean, go back to the saying, beginning yeah. again. We always have, it's, it's best if you guys really want to get the context. Go back to the very beginning. Just read the book of Genesis and you'll have the context pretty well down. Um, everything is pretty much either in there or uh, there's, a, there's a, a beginning of an explanation in the book of Genesis. So before you jump to conclusions that God is mean, bad, and doesn't like you particularly, uh, or has got it in for you or whatever, um, stop making your conclusions about God based on your experience because, number one, you're just that little minnow and you don't really have a clue until we look into the bigger context of God's Word. But in the Word of God, as we see right away in the beginning, there's a war going on between God and Satan for the souls of men. Now, a lot of people, again, going back to your, your, your what you just said, Jerry, that a lot of people think this evil in the world uh, is either because of them or blaming it onto someone else. But we never go to the real root cause, causes or sources, which would be diabolical, intelligent evil that is actually plotting, forming a plot, has an assignment, an agenda that he's carrying out against us. You know, he isn't, you know, waging his war against the bushes and the rivers and the trees. He's waging against the the sons and daughters of the Most High God, those creatures who were privileged to be made in the image of God. That was only one set of creatures, and they were called the human beings. Mm -hmm. Well, so really what we have to do is go to the source. In other words, if we, uh, if I have a Ford vehicle, uh, I would need to use the Ford Owner's manual, manual yeah. repair manual, because that is the authoritative version, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. it comes from the manufacturer. So really to get mm-hmm. a, a proper concept of, of the one true living God, we have to go to the scriptures. But, yes, and exactly. But with the, with the problem of us not doing that, not knowing that, not being introduced to the manual, so to speak, Satan is trying to create in us a reasonable doubt about the goodness and the mercy of God. Now let's go back for a second and look at something that we need to know before we can really ever know that we know what we know. Before we can ever be really sure that we've got it right, that we're understanding it right, that it's being interpreted correctly, we need to know that we know that we were already created by God, built by God to know the truth. The truth and the the correct rendition, version, whatever, of that truth the the only thing that fits for us to gre- create peace and unity, congruence between us and God, the Father, is to have a knowing that we already were built to, to recognize, to know, to resonate with the truth, 
justice, mercy, goodness, peace, righteousness, holiness, purity. So that's who we are. We're, we're made in the image of God. So when you're saying, well, I don't know, I don't know if this is what is going, I don't know, I don't know. You know, all of that is the enemy speaking to your soul to create reasonable doubt. You were already created by God to recognize the truth, to resonate with the truth. What about, uh, say... Uh, Just like a thermometer is recognized, right. is, is built to... Uh, to determine temperature, to identify, to, um, you know, to read temperatures in the air, the room, the atmosphere, whatever. What about... We're uh, built to do that. Children and young adults and now older adults that have been programmed with the theory of evolution. Well... What does that do? That that pretty much negates the concept of There's many theories of reasonable doubt. Evolution is just one of those, but Mm -hmm. it's a very powerful one because... It is created in a lot of our young people. Now there's just an, even uh, an absence of the concept of being created uh, by the Creator, by God, by the, the idea of Him being a Father. We were, you know, uh, alien spawn, or we were, you know, this Earth came into being off the backs of turtles or crystals or uh, what it was the, the, the one-dimensional points thing is a one-dimensional point and yet they're willing to believe something that does not exist to to determine uh to use that non-existent principle precept concept to hang all creation on that rather than accepting the fact that there is a designer intelligent designer creator god who had a, a, a purpose and i think part of the thing is with evolution, for example, there is no reason, no purpose, no, I'm an accident, I have no meaning, there's no consequences, there's no reason to want to um, d- determine my true origin, uh, because I, the devil does not want us to end up in the right destination, so he conceals our origin, mm-hmm. you know, it, my origin tells me everything, because it all begins at the beginning, and if I have a wrong concept of where I come from, and I come from a monkey, or that's the lie in the school and then the in the social uh, world uh in the natural world but in the in the religious world the, the lie was reshaped a bit to be called the depravity of man and um some people call that calvinism it's a very deadly doctrine and because it twists ultimately ends up twisting the uh gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ and so with you know with those kinds of conver- uh, confu- that confusion out there um, it's hard to become the jury. It's like it's like God is on trial in our hearts, and Satan throws every kind of circumstance, circumstantial evidence, your experiences, your perceptions of those experiences, to cause you to draw conclusions that are wrong, that will ultimately separate you from God. That's his whole desire is just simply to alienate us from God, because he can't, you know, he cannot take away the fact that we're made in the image of God. So he wants to relegate that to very minimal, unimportant, uh, doubtful, um, and unnecessary, unuseful in our walk in this world, in our life. It doesn't, you know, that becomes, uh, who, who cares? I mean, who thinks about, oh, wow, wake up this morning. Oh, I'm made in the image of God. Oh, wow, I love God. Oh, I, 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 he's good. I'm happy. I'm, I can rejoice. I can rest in the goodness of God. I know God's going to take care of me today. How many people wake up like that? That would be, that's very rare. Right. And, and most people, even Christians, don't wake up and say, wow, thank, thank you, Jesus. You gave me the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. I don't have to worry. I can just follow you, and you're going to lead me into all truth and righteousness, even though we might go through a swamp or a, a wilderness. 
Because, you know, even Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There was a purpose to that. It wasn't because God is mean. It was because there was a necess- this was a necessary thing. And God was very careful to go with Jesus as he's very careful, uh, aware of, conscious of going with us through our own fiery trials. Because those fiery trials that we're going through are not God's idea. And that's why, though God permits them, he is permitting what the devil is petitioning Going back to Job, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, you know, Job. What did Job say? Yeah, what, what happened? Well, in- let's let's go to that in just a moment. But why is it that there are these what we call fiery trials? In other words, okay. say if someone who loves God. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I can answer that. Loves God, but yet they're in trouble. Well, you know, in in Job, let's look at Job for a minute, and you can read the scriptures, and I'll just give the fast version, (laughs) the paraphrased version. There there are a lot of things, you know, in Job, and and really it's the oldest book, we're told, in in the scriptures. So the very most initial, even before Genesis, it was written before Genesis. It's interesting here, uh, just taking a portion from Job chapter Mm 2, beginning with, um, uh, well, maybe I'll just start out with verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said unto Satan, From hence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and while I'm walking walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God, and... Escheweth evil means that he avoids evil, rejects evil, and he still holdeth fast to his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he will give for his life. But put forth now thine hand, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot onto his crown, the top of his head, and he took uh, him a potsher, that is a broken piece of pottery, to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. And and then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Interesting, the response now from Job in verse 10. And he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Mm-hmm, exactly. Talk about what's going on there, Marjorie. Okay, well, if you go back to the very first verses, now this is the second time that Job appeared, uh, Satan appeared before yes. God. Uh, to the, in the first chapter, we talk about the very same thing happened. There was a test. There was a uh, God was bragging on the righteousness of Job, his righteousness in all the earth. He was a right man. He was keeping the law as it was given to him, doing honorable things, helping the poor. Um, and being wise, uh, rendering wisdom to the in counsel, um, respecting, honoring his workers, etc. He was a righteous man, and um, good things were happening to him. And then Satan saw that this 
possibly was because, and he was not convinced that Job wasn't serving God, just because God blessed Job. So he wanted to test and make sure um, that there was a genuine love and relationship and, and, and obedience in Job. So when he came the second time, um, Jerry was reading out of the Old King James, so Satan answered the Lord said, um, let's see, um, have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him in all the earth, blameless and upright man? Um, so Satan answered, verse 4, skin for skin, uh, and then he says, but stretch out your hand now and touch him, his bones, his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So Satan is saying to God, yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. So Satan is saying, I, I believe if, I, if, if you put enough pressure on him, but notice Satan could not just do anything to Job he wanted because Job was under the protection of God. You say, well, then why did God relieve or remove that hedge of protection from around Job to give Satan what he asked for? Why, why would he answer Satan's prayers? Um, he says, notice verse 5, Satan is, Satan, Satan is saying to God, stretch out your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan is getting permission from God. God is permitting what he is permitting at this point. And the reason God is permitting it becomes the question. Why is God permitting to hurt this man who has already proven himself? Well, look at he did the same thing with Abraham. He tested him with Isaac. Um, He did the same thing with Jesus in the wilderness in the Garden of Gethsemane. He does the same thing with you and I. He, he, He wants to, Satan wants to dispute God's workmanship in us. But he has to get God's permission. So God is permitting him to do this. However, God is saying, don't take his life. You can't have his life. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so you're saying, okay, well, then, then that's true. Then God does evil things. God, well, God is saying in, in James, uh, James who writes in the New Testament, he says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man to sin. But God, here it says, James, um, blesses the man who endures temptation. In James 1, he says, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, uh, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. It even says, I think it's in Hebrews, where it says, Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Well, Jesus was never disobedient, but what his suffering and trial proved, as it does with us, is it proves your obedience. It proves your endurance. It proves that even under difficult circumstances, your faith, your obedience is is um, truly founded in your belief that God is good, God is faithful, and God will protect you um, through the fiery trial and use it, use it to bring forth good. That's what the Bible says, all things work together for good. So in James, again, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he is proved... He will receive the crown of life. So in order to receive the crown of life, you have to be proven, uh, tried, tested. It's just like anything in our lives. I don't know why we make it so complicated. If you are going to be a great soldier, you first of all have to go to boot camp. And um, I'm sure in boot camp they would do things to you, make you go through things, suffer things, crawl in your belly, uh, get shot at, you know, whatever, endure, stay up all night, whatever they do, you know, um, to toughen you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would, you're not considering it that they're victimizing you or abusing you because you signed up for it because you want to be 
uh, a great soldier. You want to, you know, be a Navy SEAL or a Green Beret. Well, it's the same thing with us. I mean, God is there to prove us. How is it that God you know, permits us? Satan? Well, to no, what what's the difference between you know God, God testing us, and Satan involved in the process? How how does that? Well, God cannot test any man. It says he doesn't tempt any man with evil. God doesn't hope that you sin. God doesn't set you up. But God permits, and God is, you know, God is a perfect will, and his perfect will is is, actually was was the Garden of Eden before the sin, that everything was nice and there was no test. The only test there was the potential of a test. Don't eat off the tree of the fruit, the fruit of the knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there was a potential test there that which became the test, which would have never been a problem if they would have never taken the test or, you know, tasted, tasted the fruit. But once they did that, now the rule becomes, as we see in the spiritual warfare, um, is whomever we yield ourselves servant to obey his slave we become. So if you are the temporary slave of Satan because you have obeyed him, God is here to protect you, correct you, and strengthen you so that you don't come into an agreement with Satan again. Or, as we are now at the bottom of an avalanche of many generations of sin, it says the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children, to the third and fourth generations. So now what we have is an avalanche of agreements, open doors, unconfessed sins, bitterness, unforgiveness, that Satan can use so he has lots of things that he can put into the snake pit of your life and use from the snake pit of your life to bring forth that fiery trial. However, God also promises in uh, is it 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he will never test us above that he's able to keep us, but with every temptation, he makes a way of escape. So God is the way of escape. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's through patience, you just hold your tongue. You know, it says uh, uh, Abraham uh, learned obedience and be- became patient in his many testings before God, mm-hmm. you know. And so did Job, because ultimately, can I just say one more thing about Job? It just struck me now that there is, um, Job was in a very difficult spot. Because in your trials, what are you what are you tempted to do? You're tempted to make two judgments, one about yourself and one about God. Mm-hmm. You're tempted to say, as Job might have been tempted to say, this isn't fair. I was being good. Uh, God is being unfair. This is not fair. And because God, the buck stops with God, God takes full responsibility for everything that goes on in the world, even what he permits the enemy to do. And now you can say, that's really terrible. That's really horrible. That's really, you know, freaking me out about God if he's going to, you know, let the devil do this kind of stuff. But It can also be very comforting to know that God makes a way of escape. God will never allow you to be tested or tempted above that he's able to keep you. God knows your heart. Even when the devil convinces you that you are a sinner and guilty and bad and deserving of of all kinds of shame and guilt and condemnation, God already knows the whole deal. And so he reserves the right to make the final judgment, which I'm glad he does because I believe God is good. God does not sin. He cannot be tempted to sin. But he has to permit these things because going back to the garden, it was the perfect will of God. But God had given, taken the big risk of giving Adam and Eve a free will. Now, giving them, he had to give them a free will or create them as robots. And he preferred free will because love is not a robotic response. You can't, you know, you can program a a machine to uh, obey you or serve you or, 
you know, whatever, hold your hand, but that's not a genuine from the heart kind of love. It is a, it's artificial, it's fake, it's, it's contrived, it's manipulated. So God created us with a free will to freely love him or take the risk of freely rejecting him if we should perchance believe the lies that the devil has used to convince us that God is not lovable and not nice and we don't like him. So, so now that we have a free will, God has to operate, has shifted gears, so to speak, and has to operate in his permissive will for now. So he has to permit what we are willing, what we are choosing, and that is the more we fall into the lies, the more we believe the lies, the more we follow the the, the pattern of death, destruction, the fads, the group, the, the 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 this world systems. The more that we follow those, the more that we open the door for more uh, of Satan's activity and power because we're coming into a constant and greater agreements with them. I've got a question for you. Uh, related to that in just a moment. But if you'd like to uh, give us a phone call, you have a question or a comment, you can call us right now at 347-215-8051. Again, that's 347-215-8051. Marjorie, what about, you know, I've been in several different situations over the years where people have really not acknowledged God Mm-hmm. Maybe they have abused themselves with uh, chemicals. Uh, there's been a lot of abuse. They have not. They've rejected God. They've not acknowledged God in their life. Because they're mad. And then at him. when someone dies or is involved in a, a tragic accident or something, they blame God. They mm-hmm. do not acknowledge Him in their life. And when something bad happens, then they're mad at God, well, though they have rejected Him. For years, ignored him, and they've rejected him, ignored him, but he's the last to get the credit and the first to get the blame. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. Well, obviously, people want to deny, and the devil is very uh, intentional in uh, concealing his activities as evil or demonic or deliberate. Uh, he often presents himself to us as an angel of light. He presents himself to us as a thought in our own mind. The tempter comes in tempting us as a thought he puts in our mind that we believe is our thought or our feeling. So the devil kind of tries to stay in the background and just pull the strings like the, the marionette uh, puppeteer. And so people, they don't, they, they don't, you know, it's funny, like you said, they don't believe in God or they don't acknowledge God or they're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever they are. They've got all their little theories of how they got here and where they're going to end up and if they matter or don't matter and if they're going to. But the minute something doesn't go right, even the atheists and the agnostics and the haters of God come out of their corners to shake their fist at God. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting that how can God exist when things are going bad and does not exist? When I'm when things are going good and I get to do my thing my way, I don't want to. It's a matter of willful ignorance, if you ask me. It's a willful, just they don't want to pull God into their world. Because, number one, if we let God be in our world, if we acknowledge him, fear says, and where's fear from, heaven or hell? Fear says, well, then I won't have control of my own life. Then I'll have to go to church. Then I'll have to be good. Then I'll have this boring life. And then, and then the devil shows you all the negative, uh, distasteful, uh, scenarios, pictures, experiences that he's he already stocked your mind with, your emotions, it relate, your experiences with, about very distasteful uh, memories or pictures of people who serve God and they're fuddy-duddy and they're boring and they're stupid. Yeah, yeah, they're hypocrites. 
And so you say, yuck, 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 yuck. I don't, you know, if that's all the better God can do, uh, I don't want to be part of that. So we, we, there's many ways that God is made to look bad, but the devil is behind all of them. Because if you look truly, if you read your Bible, and again, I know with so many people, they read their Bible with these, these glasses, these legalistic, religious, guilt-shaded, condemnation, shame glasses on that cause every word to pop out of the page to become a judgment against them. And they don't, they say, well, God is so bloody, and God had them kill everybody in the Old Testament, and they had to drive the people out of their land, and, and you know, um, you know, you know, God had them sacrifice all these animals, and God wiped everybody out with the flood, and God is insane, and God is hard to please, and God's half the time. Most of the time, he's mad, and, and you know, um, so the devil highlights all of that as a part of his presentation in creating that, um, that uh, reasonable doubt about the goodness of God. So he's got that going on. Plus, on the other side, he counterfeits, Satan counterfeits goodness. So he tricks us to believe certain things. He leads us, baits us, lures us, seduces us, entices us into believing certain things are good because they look good. And so we, we're drawn in like that little fish, drawn to the hook. We come into agreement with the hook, which is, you know, there's bait on there, of course. It looks like exactly what you're looking for, hungry for. And then you get snapped and drug into the the enemy's frying pan, so to speak. But so we have Satan not only making God look bad over here, but counterfeiting what a goodness, making himself look good, making his options look reasonable. And because so many people are not walking in the spirit, of course you can't do that unless you're saved, because only after you're saved will you have access to the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the moment you get saved, even if you're not speaking in tongues. A lot of people think, oh, I'm not filled with the Spirit, I'm not speaking in tongues. Once you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Whether or not you acknowledge it, whether or not you know it, whether or not you talk to Him, whether or not you use that, that power and strength or not, He is there. He is commissioned to be there. And it does us good to acknowledge and understand that and then cast our care upon Him and let Him resolve our problems. Um, so I don't know if that helped, but we can go back. What, what, what's your next question? Well, related to that, uh, say if, uh, here's another area. You, you touched on this, about the love of God, okay? So sometimes people will interpret the love of God to mean that you must, that we must accept uh, sinful behavior, that it is, uh, that love equals tolerance oh, wow. and acceptance mm-hmm. of what the Bible refers to as sinful behavior, and so, and we project that that that's how. So God is so loving that He will that's the other tolerate side of the coin. and accept and endorse and approve of openly sinful behavior. Okay, that is the other side of the coin. Yes, and, the flip and, side. And I don't know if, uh, you know, that's a whole show in itself. And I, you know, <laughs> we kind of talked about that. Not that I wouldn't answer that, but I'll just give you a little piece of that. Maybe we can talk about that next time. Because sure. I think we have talked about that a little bit before. Um, yeah, it, it, people abuse the grace of God or they believe that God is on the on the one side. He's so wrathful and 
you know, and, and doesn't unreasonable, put doesn't put up with anything. On the other side, we have the gospel of uh, anything goes, you know, mm-hmm. goosey mm-hmm. grace or whatever. Not the true grace of Jesus Christ, which required death. But So either of those, whether you're in the camp of I'm mad at God or God is so loving and kind that he couldn't possibly send anybody to hell, both of those are wrong because they, you've got, you know, this side of the torture rack or this side, it's, it's, it's not the truth. The truth is that Jesus Christ brought to us the true concept of the Father, and through his own death, he resolved the issue that was the real issue at hand. It wasn't an issue of goodness. It wasn't an issue that was going to resolve, be, be resolved by our being good uh, or, or getting back. You know, like we think, oh, I've been bad, 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 now I've got to be good, good, good to make up for being bad, 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 so I can get back into feeling you know, okay, it doesn't work that way because, you know, the more you try to be good for making up for being bad and weigh out the balances so that they balance again and come back into this, um, the scales are, 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 you know, balanced. It does not work because there's never enough. There's another, there's another sinner. Just before you get to the finish line, there's another problem, another flaw, another, you know, error or whatever. So it becomes a futility, futility of the life. But going back to let's understand this thing again simply from the point of view of who created us, who started this, God did. What is he here to approve? Nothing. What does he need? Us. What does he want us for? Love and fellowship. What has happened? We've been thrown into this crucible of a snake pit, I call it, where everything that God has imparted to us, every every desire for goodness, holiness, relationship with God, is challenged, put under pressure, scrutinized by the devil, tried to... And God has permitted it. Why? Because God knows that he is able to keep that which he, we have committed to him against the day. God is able to keep us in the midst of this, even though uh, people get very screwed up on their simplistic, uh, you know, they look at a surface, uh, if God is so good, then why? That question is planned by the devil. Most people who ask that question don't consider that there could be a devil out there because they're looking at the horrible things that God has permitted, and they say, well, if that's what it is, then God must be the horrible one because he let that happen. And so um, uh, so we're, we're really the jury in this whole thing. And the one who's being tested actually uh, is God, our affection for God. Our, our, and that's why it's all built on promises. God said to Abraham, I promise you I'm going to give you a son. I promise you I'm going to give you this land. I promise you I'm going to... Um, give you so many descendants as the stars of the sky. But Abraham didn't live to see all those promises completed in his lifetime, although he lived quite a long time. But he did live to look forward to the completion of those promises um, in heaven, in the city whose builder and maker was God, foundations of that city. But he also lived worthy of the promises in that he was the man who, who anchored his faith in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness 400 years before Moses even came by with the law. So the promises were given and they were received through faith. That's why it's so important to believe God that no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, that God is good. Bottom line, if you know that God is good, then you're not going to be as vulnerable to being uh, demonically judged as so many people who are Christians who are believing somehow God is mad at me, somehow I have this coming, somehow if I would have only... But there's still believers who are acting under the wrong gospel. Now, this is a key. This is a key. When you get into 
Jesus coming down to the earth. Before that, you had um, they, the law had been well established for uh, hundreds of years. The law had been given through Moses, the Ten Commandments. Abraham had come before Moses. Abraham had been received the promise through the word of God and through believing that word and acting and living according to it, just man in relationship with God, um, God considered him his friend, his confidant, if you will. Abraham even experienced the same uh, tormenting thing that God the Father was going to experience in the death of his son when Abraham was asked to give up his son. Of course, that was orchestrated as well, not by God, but by Satan, who said to God, you know, I don't believe Abraham really loves you ever since you, you gave him Isaac. He is, um, he's not paying any attention to you. So obviously he loves Isaac more than you. So I say, kill him. So God permitted Satan to, uh, you know, convince God that he should allow Abraham to be tested with this test to sacrifice Isaac. Now, Abraham here, if you stop and think about it, you say, well, how do you know this? Well, if you read in the books of Enoch and Joshua and Jubilees, you'll see the full import of this story. We just get the highlights in uh, Genesis. But So Abraham immediately uh, got together his things, the wood, the fire, the sun, and began to make his three-day journey uh, up to Mount Moriah, where God had directed him to go. Mount Moriah is the same as Mount Calvary. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, so he went on his journey to do that. And Abraham didn't say, God, I can't believe you're doing this. This makes no sense, God, because if I sacrifice my son, I'll be just like the heathens who are sacrificing their firstborn to their gods. How will you and I look any different from them? I'll look like I'm practicing idolatry and trying to get the favor of the gods. See, back in those days, Satan was very active in the world, and people knew it. They were sacrificing to the demon gods. They were doing it for power. They were giving their own son's blood so that they could be enhanced or enriched or empowered. They were making deals with the devil, trading that which was precious to them for more power from Satan. So Abraham could have said, God, this looks nuts. And, you know, if he would have known the Ten Commandments, he could have said, and besides God, thou said in your own Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. So why are you asking me to kill my son? This makes no sense. But Abraham believed God, walked in the promises of God, went up the mountain. As a matter of fact, three times on the way, um, Satan himself tried to get Abraham to disobey Abraham's uh, willingness, his determination to follow through on what God said. Satan himself tried to not only, you know, he set up the test and he tried to get Abraham to fail the test three different times by presenting himself as an old man who tried to talk Abraham out of it, saying, you must be nuts, this can't be God, Um, your God's crazy, whatever, whatever. And the second apparition of a young man who came to Isaac and said, your dad's insane, you need to leave him. And the third was the, um, the circumstance of a, a huge deluge, a flood that, that came after them as they were trying to so, supposedly cross this river, when Abraham realized there is no river. There is no river between here and Mount Moriah. There's no river you know, coursing that mountain. So he rebuked the river. He rebuked this, this apparition of the old man, the young man. He rebuked them, knowing that this was a demonic apparition. So obviously Abraham knew more about this testing than we're, we're led to believe in the Bible because he had the wherewithal to rebuke the enemy, so submit he, to God, resist the devil. So what you report here is, for, is from the book of Jubilees. 
Jubilees and Josh are tell Jubilees us the and story. Josh are tell us those details. Okay. Yeah, and you can find those online if you like. But anyway, and they're they're I say they're very interesting reading, very incredible, and they don't subtract one thing from salvation, the cross, grace, the truth, but they do add a whole one many 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 elements to the story. That when these elements are missing, the story seems to kind of like be weak and doesn't make sense. So anyway, <clears throat> when Abraham got to the top of the mountain, he had said to his son. Uh, and Isaac said, well, where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham said, by faith, again, believing God, the Lord will provide the lamb or the sacrifice. So when they got up to the top of the mountain, uh, Satan hid the sacrifice, tied up the ram and hid him from Abraham's view. So lots of times with us, too, we're in the circumstance, we're in the test. The answer is right there. We don't see it, however, because the enemy has blinded our eyes to it or cause us to look a different direction, or we, we reach out, grab, try to figure out, try to figure it out ourselves, rescue ourselves, get out of it. Um, Abraham could have thrown down the knife and said, this is stupid, and he could have walked away. But in, to the very end of the test, he said, I'm trusting God. And at that point, where he raised the knife, the angel of mercy, it said, came and stopped his hand. And then his eyes were open, and he saw the sacrifice. So many times, we are in the crisis, the very final moments of the test, and we, we throw down the knife, or we say, this is stupid, going to do this. Uh, and then as you fail the test, so to speak, um, you know, the enemy then wins a point, and it seems like we have to go through that test again. It's like if you fail the, point, the test by one point. I know God is not keeping track of points, but so many times the crisis, the most difficult part of the test, is the last few days or weeks or hours, and that's called endurance. Mm -hmm. And then, but with Job, going back to him, Job's ultimate conclusion in the middle of his severe test was chapter 13. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You've got to just give it all up and say, you know what, God, this is your problem. If I get through this, I get through this. You're going to have to get me through this. There's no way I can get through this. There's no way I even have enough wherewithal to make the right decision. But I do believe that you, your Holy Spirit, lives in me and that this is your problem. You will get me through this. You promised the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, etc. But if you believe in the back of your mind that somehow God is out to get you, you aren't going to have the courage. So all the tests then reduce down to the goodness of God. Is God really good? Can I really believe that? Will he really deliver me from this crazy, insane tsunami in my life? Trust and obedience. That's really what it boils down to, isn't it? Trust in God. Trust in his goodness. Trust and obey. That God is good, God is love. Trust and obey. Mm -hmm. And he always has the very best in mind for us, even though we don't see it at the time. And even though we're tempted by Satan through our souls to not believe it. We've talked many times about the soul software and the spirit software, and many times we're trained through our experiences to go back to the mind, back to the emotions, back to the people's opinions, back to what you think, back to what you feel, to try to figure out how to resolve an issue that cannot be resolved in the mind. Because your mind, first of all, is never going to resolve anything in a concrete, absolute, knowing way because the mind can only think to begin with. Mm-hmm. And and your feelings go up and down moment by moment, depending on your blood sugar and blood pressure and all kinds of things going on in your world. So your 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 soul is totally inept, unable to stabilize you. I don't care how much training, how much reasoning. See, Satan uses reasoning, reasoning and reality to undermine truth and 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 um and and the love of god mm-hmm. he always 
so to bring us into the place of floundering. And it's interesting, you know, with Joel, what you quoted there, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He 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 could not figure it out. Job did not realize right. what was going on behind the curtain. Behind the scenes, yeah. Behind the scenes. He did not realize that, you know, God had you know, Satan had gone before the throne of God mm-hmm. and gotten permission and mm-hmm. all this stuff was going on. So a lot of times we don't realize some of the things we know, some of the things that we don't. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of trying. You know, Job was, he went on, he was trying to figure it out at, at mm-hmm. some point. Or get through it, too. Or to get through it. Mm-hmm. But he says, you know, even if God kills me, I'm yeah. still going to trust him. No matter what's going on, I'm going to trust him. And that's really the bottom line, isn't it? I'm going to trust God. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do what he has revealed to me to do, no matter what. And sometimes this that's just stand still and see the salvation of God, mm-hmm. as with Moses. Yes. Or sometimes, and all tests, as it would indicate in Hebrews chapter 12, the, the, the little saying, it'll either make you bitter or better. And that's exactly correct, because a lot of times we're tempted to get bitter, which means to get mad at God, because God, where were you? Why did this happen to me? I can't believe that you did this. See, because we're all thinking that somehow we're back to performance. We're back to, if I do this right, if I do it perfect, if I don't mess up, skip up, mess, uh, you know, uh, then uh, screw up, then um, God has to bless me. But you're still operating out of the idea of conditional love. God, Jesus, you know, on the cross, looked like a complete failure, a disaster, a fool, a fool, really, because um, all the people, he says, I will rebuild this temple in three days. You know, he was healing people, bringing them back to life. Here he is dying his own death on the cross, and he can't and won't. It's really he won't come down from the cross. He could have. I know he could have. And if he would have done that, he would have bailed on us. He would have failed to complete the demands of the wages of sin that sin demanded, which was death, blood for blood. It's not good works. And so he knew he was a bloody mess. You may be a bloody mess. You may look like a fool. You may be laughed at and mocked by all those around you, including maybe your religious friends. But you're not to be looking at that. It says, keeping our eyes upon Jesus, fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, that's um, actually Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, what is that sin that so easily would ensnare us? Well, you can name it any number of ways. I would say it could be di- discouragement or temptation to um, to get mad at God or to give up or to become bitter. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the beginner and the ender of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He was looking beyond what he was seeing and feeling and sensing and the nails piercing his wrists and the, 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 the blood uh, you know, running down his face and the, the, the thorns poking his eyes and the, and the whips and the lashes. He was looking beyond the, to, for the joy uh, that's what we need to do. Look beyond that. Be farsighted. Look to the joy. Abraham looked to the city whose builder and maker was God. Um, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand um, and had, has, he already has done this, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility 
from sinners against himself. Now he was the, the sinners that were hostile against Jesus were being motivated by the demonic hatred of the enemy who instigated the riot to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. Although Satan was really driving nails in his own coffin because he knew the minute he, died, he killed an innocent man because Jesus was innocent, he knew that there would be blood on his own head and he would have to pay for that. Um, and so he says to us, he says, you have not resisted yet to bloodshed. And then he says um, in verse 5, he says, have you not forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My dear son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So many times when we're chastened, we think God is mad at us. And that becomes the devil's uh, taunting song. God is mad at you. You did something wrong. You deserve to be punished. You know, this is your fault. How many of us have been hooked on that little lie in our life early on? It's my fault I was sexually abused. It's my fault my parents got divorced. It's my fault they fought. It's my fault my brother died. It's my fault my sister was you know, drowned or run over by a car. It's my fault, you know, uh, my teacher, you know, hit me on the head with her ruler. It's, you know, and the devil is wanting you to agree that it's your fault so that he can put put a demonic judgment on you and make it look like it's God doing that. So he says, um, don't be, uh, the Lord chastens or corrects or disciplines or trains up his kids. You are being trained by God, so therefore you will be qualified you're, 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 this is a training with an ultimate end of qualifying us uh, to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. He says, but don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, this scourging, this discipline momentarily can look like what? The discipline, look, it looked like God is just... Mm-hmm. Punishing us. Mad at us. Mad at us, yeah. He did something wrong. He did something so wrong. So the devil will draw the short conclusion that it must be my fault. God is, God is mean. God is not fair. God is mad at me. Therefore, I'm mad at God. Um, and then you can become very bitter and say, why me, God? Look at our family. We have served you for many generations. Or why me, God? Um, this is, you know, If you're a righteous person, the question will become, why me, God? Just like with Job, why me? Well, yeah, and then you can just get to the point where say, God, just forget you. Yeah, this is not fair. I'm mad. I'm just just, going to walk away. So God is being tested in your heart, as he was with Job. So Job was being tempted to become bitter and say, God, why me? This is not fair. Of all the people around you, I am the most righteous. And, And Job did. He said a lot about his righteousness, but he never questioned what happened and turned it back on it being God or God's fault. Um, he didn't even realize maybe that he'd been being chastened or corrected or disciplined or tested. He just simply uh, just wished he had never been born. I mean, and so the thing that with Job's two things, he was being tested or tempted to become bitter against God. And he was also pressured to accept the condemnation that his friends were trying to put on him through guilt. You must have sinned. You must have sinned. You did something wrong because they believe karma, that if you're good, good things happen. If you're bad, bad things happen. Mm-hmm. And so... They were trying to get Job to admit to guilt. Now, notice he didn't fall for that temptation either. A lot of times we say, well, it must be my fault. Uh, I should have known. Yeah, when you're three three years old, you should have known that, um, you know, uh, you you were the one who was supposed to be responsible again for your parents' marriage. And that goes back to me being the center of my world at three years old and thinking everything revolves around me, begins and ends with me. But anyway, going back to Hebrews, he says, um, but if if you are without chastening, 
uh, which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, not sons. So the very fact that you're being chased and tested means that you're in. You're 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 on. It's like going to school. I mean, you're a student, and so you're going to be tested, and you can't go to the twelfth grade until you pass the third grade, basically. Mm-hmm. And you you don't like tests, but you welcome them. And when the finals are finished and you get to go into the fourth grade, you're really excited and you're glad you had the test, although you hated it and you didn't like studying for it and you felt miserable the night before and you were worried about and 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 so the thing is we have to be and if you flunk or fail you know you're going to say well i didn't deserve to go to the fourth grade it's my fault or maybe maybe the devil was just snatching the, the information out of your mind and maybe we need to deal there with what he's doing but furthermore he says human fathers correct us and not always justly i'm sure i know um they indeed for a few days uh but now love verse 11 no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the, pe- the peaceful fruits of righteousness in those who have been tested or tre- trained up by it. Therefore, he says, verse 12, here's what we do. Strengthen the hands which hang down. How do you do that? The feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So if there's you, a temptation, there's isn't it? To become in, bitter, in exactly. Exactly, that is the test, to become bitter and then pass that bitterness on to your families. How many people are suffering today because their generations past were very bitter, unforgiving, held grudges, and never forgave? And if you have a, a generational pattern like that in your bloodline, you're going to have all kinds of pain, inflammation, and uh, arthritis, possibly in your knees, um, if there's gossip and judgments in your family, a lot of that sort of tongue-wagging uh, against one another, you will have inflammation in your body, which means that raging bitterness, has anger, which is, is red and fiery and, and flame, will create inflammation in your, uh, in, your, in your being. When you take swallow in, you swallow up the bitterness, you maybe keep it inside, you hold it inside. It's like putting a lit match in a wastebasket and letting mm-hmm. it burn. Mm-hmm. So this then becomes the test. Well, so now Job, he really, he, he had came to really an understanding. He was, we said that, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Mm-hmm. He uh, Job twenty three ten says, but he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Amen. Now there, and there, God did really he, reward him. He, at the he end, looked didn't he? beyond right the pain. Yeah. I mean the pain. He saw the pain. He complained about the pain. Mm-hmm. He did not complain against God. Mm-hmm. He was he was very became very introspective, looking at himself, examining and of course, himself. His friends were like. Analyzing him, the devil's advocate. Him. They were the devil's advocates for sure. Mm-hmm. But it it was true that he persevered. You've heard of the patience of Job. That's right. So there was patience has to do with endurance, and he endured. Well, that and God blessed him mm-hmm. at the end. He was blessed with yep. more, you know, kids and wealth and everything mm-hmm. that he had before. God yeah. just multiplied. Uh, uh, material and family blessings upon mm-hmm. him, and I'm sure spiritual blessings. He said to at the end, he says, "I've heard of you regarding God. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you." Yeah, he understood the revelation of there was come. a revel a greater revelation mm-hmm. of God that came as a result of the trial. 
that's one of the things that we often miss. Mm -hmm. A greater revelation of God comes if we will trust, if we will obey, Mm -hmm. and if we will endure. And use the grace. You notice in Hebrews it says, um, says, uh, use the grace, strengthen the hands, make straight paths for your feet, which talks about our relationships. Pursue peace with all men, holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If God is so evil and mean and wicked, then why are we? Why is He encouraging us to walk in peace and goodness and the golden rule and love and holiness and forgiveness? Why? If God is so, then He must be a two-faced, double-tongued hypocrite if He is asking us to do what He will not do Himself. So we must know that the reason God did what He did was because He permitted, because He had to do it. And many of those things that we will talk about later, and we can do this maybe next time, about all that bloody stuff going on in the Old Testament, uh, because we do need to understand that, came as a result of God protecting us, not as a result of God hating us. God does not hate us, but the devil wants us to believe and conclude that God is mean and that God hates us and he's fickle. But again, if you look in the New Testament, there's so many, you know, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, in Matthew 11. In Matthew 12, he says, I just love Matthew 12. It's such an awesome chapter. He says here um, uh, that, that he was being criticized as disciples for eating, plucking grain, breaking the law, if you will, on the Sabbath. And going back to what he started to talk about a few minutes ago, um, that the law was given for our protection. But when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the law. He came to finish to finalize, to satisfy that law which demanded sin, the wages of sin is death. He came to be that sacrifice lamb for the sins, slain for the sins of the world. And then the law was finished, satisfied, quieted, settled, and now the New Testament offers us the options of grace. So either you're going to operate under the Old Testament or the New Testament. And if you're a believer, I suggest you get into the New Testament and not straddle the line because the Old Testament, there's two ways um, that that issues, injustices are resolved. One of them is through the blood of Jesus, and that's called grace. And the other one is through the um, the justice that must come through the judgments of God uh, through those who refuse or reject his free gift of pardon and rescue and salvation through Jesus. So there's a whole lot of people out there today, and this is what we got to wrap it up with today, but there's a whole lot of people out there today who are going... Are, putting themselves in a position, including Christians, who are going to have to use, uh, or they're, they're in that place where the justice that's going to come is through the judgment of God's indignation, and they won't get it, because they are already forgiven. They are already in grace. They are already in the place where they don't need to be worrying about you know condemnation, judgment being cast into hell, and yet they're trying to fulfill the law. The law has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. We couldn't keep the law in the Old Testament we can't keep the law in the New Testament. The New Testament, God says the law is completed. The law was not for our salvation anyway. The law was for um, the law was for uh, protection and, and identification of God's people. And so when we see that in the New Testament, we're not identified by the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us, then the the Old Testament law that we couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, the Thou shalt not, uh, is obsolete. But God did not throw it away. God actually upgraded the Ten Commandments into, uh, condensed it into three commandments that now say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. So what we couldn't do in the Old Testament has now become much more difficult in the New Testament. God, the good God, 
that we that is always been good asks us to love as he loves, to forgive. Forgiveness is now a commandment in the New Testament. It wasn't in the Old Testament. So you say, how am I going to keep that law when I couldn't keep it in the Old Testament? Well, you need to say through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to lead us into all truth and triumph. It is through him and his d- direction that we are able to keep the, the, uh, the in, walk in the grace of God and have the heart of God to love with the love of God. But let me tell you this, that the justice uh, of the judgment of this world because of the choices that people have made, and we are slipping quickly into that place of the, in, the wrath and the indignation of God, which is going to be torn, turned out, poured out upon uh, the earth. Uh, we're coming to those the end of the ages, the age, I should say, not the end of the world necessarily, because there's a few more things that have to happen according to God, another thousand years, uh, millennium, et cetera, et cetera, but we're going to have a, a few bumpy years uh, between now and then. Um, but at this point now, when all these bad things happen, people are going to be looking around and saying, I can't believe God just let that happen. Oh, God is mad. God is judging the people. Well, the judgments are coming upon us because of the choices that many, many have made, not necessarily you. And this is, an, oh, this is a different situation or scenario than your personal life. God, ha- God does not hate you. He, he's not even mad at you for sinning, actually, because he knew you were going to sin. But he does need for you to confess that sin and repent so that you can come out of agreement with the devil, so you can come back under the full counsel of God's grace and protection. However, if people refuse to repent, Jesus said in the very opening lines, honey, of his ministry, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven or God is upon you. Mm-hmm. That was 2,000 years ago. That's the same gospel message we need to present today. Repent. Change your mind. Stop believing lies. Stop following the devil. Stop believing, listening to your soul. Stop believing the old programming of the, of the software of your soul built through experiences of lies that you believe to be true and walk in the spirit. Yes, yes. So absolutely. you wanted to read Psalm 100 to conclude today. We yes. want to encourage you. By the way, if you have questions as you get ready to read that, I'm just going to tell encourage people, you can. We do counseling. We do. Um, we have River City uh, True Light Church. We have, uh, which meets in Rogers, um, Minnesota, uh, at the Holiday Inn. I do counseling at my office in Crystal. I do phone counseling. If you have questions, we can email. Um, we'd love to help you. Our office number is seven six three seven eight five four two three four four two three four seven six three seven eight five four two three four. For those of you who'd like to make an appointment or go to our website, liferecovery.com or truelightchurch.org and truelightchurchmn.org. Yeah, mn because uh-huh. we're in Minnesota. And, and check us out. There's lots of blogs, lots of encouragement. Um, there's no reason for you to feel alone or untaught. There's tons of good things out there. So we encourage you, we pray for you, we bless you, that God will bring you into truth right now to relieve you from this place of suffering and if you would only understand the love of God that is the peace, the mercy, and the grace of God that through Jesus Christ, through the Father, through the Son, the Holy Spirit, that God's intention is to, is to assist, to help, to carry, to support, to deliver you from these fiery trials into victory, to know that, to know his goodness. You would go, be able to go forward in your day with rest and rejoicing instead of fretting and stress. All I have to say. And what well, do you say? Let's... Uh... The concept of God is, of course, as we've been sharing here, rightly presented in the Bible. And just like to conclude today with Psalm 100, 
Uh, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Yes, God God's bless you. God's best to you. We Rejoice pr- in the goodness of the Lord. Amen. God bless you. We love you. See you next Tuesday. I have an emergency. What is your location? for yourself.